Cox can help make your home smarter and your life easier. Now you can use your Contour voice remote to connect to your home life cameras so you can view them right on your TV screen using simple voice commands. That makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening around your home right from your couch. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're playing outside? Just say, show me my backyard camera into your Cox voice remote and watch them while you're in the house. And if you're waiting for a delivery and want to make sure it's there on time, no problem. Just say, show me driveway camera to check on it with your Home Life HD cameras on the TV screen while you go about your day. When you live in a home powered by Cox Internet, you can stay connected to what matters and let Cox take care of the rest. To learn more about all the benefits of your connected home, visit cox.com slash thisishome today. Uh, week one of this new series called Generous that we are diving into. And, and the whole point of Generous is, is to not only get to the bottom of how God expects us to be generous, but I want to see and show you how God is generous and how God is generous in our life. So we preached it and the miraculous happened whenever we received a, a text message towards the end of service of, that they asked us to receive an offering for Camp Impact. And that if we would receive an offering for Camp Impact, then they would match it 100%. So we did that. And um, it, turned, it totaled out that we have now raised $10,021 for Camp Impact, which is an amazing thing for our church. If you don't know the vision yet of Camp Impact, that is going to send kids to camp for free. So, yeah, that's right. That's what we did. Preaching on tithes and offering, God shows up and does something so spectacular in the service. But I want to let you know that tonight, right now, registration has been released for Camp Impact. And you can go on your phone. You can go to the um, Church Center app that we have right here on your cell phone, and you click on Camp Impact. And once you click on Camp Impact, you're going to see that it, it'll pull up the camp page. At the bottom, it'll say register. So I'm going to register one of my kids just so you can see how it, it works. Um, and if you're watching online, this will help you to, to see how to do it as well. So I will just click on Harper and then it'll ask me, where do I want her to sign her up as a kid camper, a middle school camper, a high school camper or a Camp Impact staff? So she's a kid camper. So I would click that and click next. Now, watch how cool this is. Normally right here, it would go to the bottom and, and I'm just going to put a shirt size and we can go in and change it. But you click your shirt size for you or your your child or whoever's going and when you click that, it's going to tell us what shirt to order. So now I click review and pay. Now, normally, whenever this would happen, as it registered, it would come back up and it would say that she needed to pay $125 because that's kind of what we used to charge for Camp Impact. But um, it's not letting me click it right now. But anyway, you would click that and now it says zero. Zero dollars to register for camp. So you just click next, pays over with, and it's going to take you to another link. When you click that link, the registration is not complete until you click the one where it says more forms are required. When you click that, it's going to let you fill out the application for your child right there on your phone. We're not going to do paper applications. If you've already turned in a paper application, I still need you to go register online and register your child that way. We're doing everything digital, everything by the way of, of, inter, of, um, of technology. And if you're a camp staff, you'll go on there. You'll click camp staff. Sadly, yours isn't free. 
Uh, this was for the campers only. So we're trying to get as many kids as we can to camp for free, not adults. So the adults still pay their tuition to go to camp, and you'll pay that. It's a $100 fee, and, um, and, and then you'll select your shirt size, and you'll fill out your application. Once you fill it out, it's going to send you a link to your email with the pastoral form and also the background check. Um, so if you have made me mad the last 12 months, you may not get to work camp because I got to give a story about what I think about you. And then we get, I'm just kidding. I do have to fill out a form though of pastoral, um, endorsement saying that I feel like you uphold Christian standards and should be serving in a Christian camp. So, um, that form you'll submit to me and I will fill it out and get it to the camp directors, which is myself and sister Jennifer. So, um, but go ahead and, and do, <laughs> I'll get it in the right hands. I promise. So, Just get that filled out. Let's get these kids registered. Here's what I did so far. I know with the $10,000 that I could send 100 kids to camp free, and I'm pretty sure I can send more than that. But what I did was I put this thing online. The first 100 we know are 100% tuition free, 100 kids. That's a lot of kids going to camp. So we got 100 open windows for 100% free, and it's probably beyond that, but I didn't do all the math. I just went ahead and opened it for 100 right off the bat. So it's open right now. Let's get it going, and let's get ready um, for Camp Impact. So sign your kids up, and let's get ready. Tonight, generous. Week two, I'm excited about it because it's going a whole nother route. It's going a way that we went different from last week, and I want you to see it. So I'm going to open up right in the first scripture, and I kind of did it tonight a little different. I I gave you all the scriptures on the screen so that you can follow me, because I want you to see some key words that I think are going to help you in understanding the generosity of God tonight. So I want you to know by the end of the night why God wants to bless you. Last week, we talked about how we, we, God wants to see our lives blessed and how that becomes, because we do give in our obedience through tithes and offering. But this week, I want you to know not only how, but why. Why does God want to bless you? So Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, the Bible says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. Now, the, the scripture right before that one says that you are the salt I want you to know something. The reason that he said you are the salt is because there's some places in this world that have no flavor. There's some places in this world that have nothing good about the place where it is and the location. But God said, since you are the flavor, you are the salt, you are to go into that area and you are to make it what it should be. You are to add flavor to it through your Christian walk, through the, through the spirit on the inside of you. You become the salt. You become the difference in that area, in that location. But the next scripture where we picked up, he says, not only the salt, but you are the light. How can I be the light? I understand what the light is, but how can I be the light? Church, let me tell you something. Your your job and my job is to bring and to brighten every room we walk into. You know how people say that's the life of the party? Well, that's to a point of what I'm talking about, but you are the light of the party. No matter how dark the situation, no matter how much it seems hopeless, no matter how people are struggling in the room, when we walk into a room, we ought to brighten that room up. Everything about that room ought to change. The atmosphere ought to shift. All these things ought to happen because he said, you are the light. Let your light shine before others. Don't hold it in. Don't hide it to where they can't see. Don't let the devil take it from you, but be the light that makes the difference. You're the light. You're the light of the world. But I love the next part where he says that you may see, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, this is where we can kind of twist things in our our life. 
is because sometimes we think we do good deeds that people will recognize it because they can see what we're doing, but it actually has zero to do with us. God wants people to see your good deeds. He wants to recognize that you're doing something good, but he wants to recognize it so that they can glorify your father in heaven. Because if I am the salt that changes the flavor of the place I am, and I am the light that brightens up the room, then that means that I am doing something that they see is different from anything else. It's one thing to have a lot of things in life and for people to walk up to you and to say, man, I really like your boat. I really like your car. I really like your house. I really like all these things you have. I like your deer camp and all these things. But people know how to get that. So I don't have to ask you how to get that because I know I just need to make a little bit more money and I can probably afford it too. But when you brighten up a room that is dark because of what's inside of you, I've got to ask you, how do you do it? I've got to ask you what changed. I've got to ask you why your personality is so good. I've got to ask you how you smile when things are so bad. I've got to ask you, how are you doing these things? And he said, in that moment, they will see something different and they will glorify your father that's in heaven. God wants to be glorified. God wants all the attention on him. God wants everything to be about him so that they may see. Not that everyone will brag, not that we can feel like we are successful in life, but that they may see, they may take notice. But there are some words that your Savior, since we celebrated Resurrection Sunday a few days ago, there are some words, and these are the very last words that Jesus mentioned before his ascension into heaven. I believe if they're the very last words he mentioned to the disciples, then they're probably pretty important. If it said, you only got one time to say what's on your mind. If I asked you tonight, I said, listen, God's probably going to call you home in the morning. You got one chance to say whatever you want, what you want to say. It's probably going to be the most important words of your life. Watch what Jesus said in Acts chapter one. He says, you will be, somebody's cutting me off. Let me control it up here, says Jenny. Whenever, whenever y'all click back there, it's cutting me off. Give me just a second. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the very last words that Jesus mentioned. Of all the things he could say, this is what he says. You will be witnesses in Judea, in Jerusalem, in Samaria and to the ends of the world. Church, we have not been blessed as a church to see how many nice buildings we can build. We have not been blessed as a church so that people can recognize what we're doing and so that we can pad a bank account that just has millions of dollars in it. That's not why a church is blessed. We are blessed as a church because he says you should be witnesses. We've been blessed that we can reach people all over the world as a witness to who he is. Why? So that we may draw the attention back to God and he would get all the glory. That people would take note of who our God is. That we may have the opportunity to preach Jesus to people. That we can tell them about the love of our Savior. That we can tell them about his his redeeming power and, and how there's power and victory in the blood of Jesus. That's why a church is blessed. Jesus was spending, after he had resurrected, he comes back and he spends 40 days here on earth just popping up in different places. And the last words out of his mouth is, you ought to be a witness. Now, If I look at a courtroom setting, he didn't say you ought to be the judge. Church, church people ain't to be the judge. He didn't say you shall be the judge of me. He didn't say you shall be the prosecutor of me. He didn't even say he needs you to be the defender. He said, I need you to be the witness. I need you to sit on the stand and tell your story about what I've done in your life. I don't need you to play any other part but being the witness. 
I've blessed you and I've blessed the church you're a part of that you can be the witness, that people will see the testimony that has taken place in your life. He said, I need you to tell your story. Now, I want you to know what they're talking about. He's not saying that we will be witnesses in Jerusalem. He was talking to them in their settings because they knew Jerusalem was their, set, their city. It was their hometown. So Jerusalem to you would be Columbus. That's your city. You shall be witnesses in Columbus and in all Judea and Samaria. That's the United States. You shall be witnesses in Columbus and in all the United States and to the ends of the earth, which means internationally. So I want to show you tonight how God has been so generous and what we're trying to do to fulfill this scripture right here. Here's the things in our church that we participate in. Local missions. Local missions is that Jerusalem, Columbus area. And what we do through local missions is try to serve as much as we can right here in our city. Feed, the, feed those in need. Find shelter for the homeless. Take care of the widow, the orphans, or the kids that are abandoned without fathers. We're trying to, fathers and mothers, we're trying to, to, to get inside of their life and be an example and be a mentor for them. We try to support smaller churches. You don't even realize how many churches in this city you've been a part of their success in what they're doing right now. You don't even realize some of the ministries that we have partnered with because God has blessed us and we've upgraded things in our church and was able to give to them that they could start doing it. One of the biggest ones that we support that we were able to do that because of all of the giving that we've done in our church is when we upgraded our live stream system. And we begin to upgrade some of the media in our church. We was able to take our old system and give it to the bodybuilders outreach that they could have live stream, that they could do the things they wanted. And we didn't we didn't ask a penny for it. And we would never because that's our job as a local mission is to help other churches. All the ch extra chairs we used to have, we could have saved them and said, hey, we can put as many chairs as we want. But there was churches in needs. There was ministries in need and they were given to us when we were in need. So what did we do? We just passed it down. We gave it to churches in West Point. We gave it to churches in Columbus. Now they're in churches in Aberdeen. Everywhere. Why? Because our church has been so generous and God's been so generous to us. We're fulfilling the local mission of what he's asked us to do. National missions. How do we do that? We partner with other missions. We try to find ministries all over the United States, anywhere we could. We try to partner with somebody in need that we know is a legitimate ministry that we can help. That's how you get on the national level. Internationally is overseas. The reason that our church has not begun to send things overseas is because we have not found the right one to partner with. Before I, I, I agree as a church to go send something overseas, I want to know who it's going to and where is it going and how is it bettering those in the ministry there. So that's an overseas. But here's three of the things that are near and dear to Zion Church's heart that you need to know about generosity. Camp Impact's number one. We support Camp Impact 100%. No other church supports Camp Impact. No other ministries support Camp Impact. Camp Impact is 100% funded by Zion Church from start to finish. We do everything we can for Camp Impact. We also try to give to the campground that we actually use. We try to help them so they can make upgrades, and we try to give love offerings to them when we can. That way, they can make some upgrades to the facilities, and it betters whenever we're there. So Camp Impact is one of the biggest ministries we pour into here. CORE is something many of you don't really know about yet because I trialed it through the men. <laughs> I'm trialing it through the men right now. CORE is this. We do not create people to sit in church on a pew. God said you are to make disciples. You are to make leaders. You are to help people to go forward in the ministry and to walk in their calling. So we started this men's thing called CORE. 
And I took 12 men and we meet once a month. And when we meet, I just pour my heart into them. I pour everything that's been poured inside of me, everything God's given me. I pour into these men, trying to make them disciples and leaders in their homes and leaders in our church that hopefully as we expand Zion Church, they can go out and help expand the ministry. Core is what, what exactly core is, is this. Core is a deeper relationship than small group. Small groups are for anybody. Core is for people who want to be leaders. Core is for people who have a calling in the ministry and want to go to the next level with what God has showed them. It's accountability. It's responsibility. It's discipleship and all these things. So core will be the next thing in our church that goes all the way across the board for leaders, men and women. But we're trialing it right now through the men. The daycare in the academy, one of the biggest visions we have. I have it in yellow because we hadn't touched it yet, but actually we have because I've got all the paperwork just ready for the research and to get it put in for the daycare. Because I believe that that's the first step. You get a daycare and then you get a, a school and you go middle school, high school and elementary and all these things. And then you, you have a full sports program. Why do you do that? Because it changes the city you live in. It's not so people can look at Zion Church and say, oh, man, they got nice things. No, it's so people in this city can send their kids to a Christian school at a reasonable cost. And we're not just giving them a program. We're giving them a daily encounter with Jesus, that kids would come to church every day, that they just wouldn't walk into a chapel service and somebody from another church comes and preach. But our leaders and our ministers bring them into the presence of God that they can encounter the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, that a child from K to 12 cannot walk walk out of that school and say, I've never had an encounter with God. That we create an environment where people's kids can go and encounter Jesus on a daily basis. Why is that so important? Because 1 Corinthians chapter 9 says, when I am with those who are weak, I share in their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. That's, that's a generous side of us. Why? Because what we don't want to do is to give to people and never show them Christ. I want to participate in the weakness. What is the weakness? That's the need. As the church, as, as, a, as a born again believer, I want to participate in the weakness of a person's life, but just giving somebody money and walking away is not doing what God has asked us to do. It's okay to give money. It's okay to meet needs that way, but watch what he goes on to say. He says, yes, I've tried to find common ground with everybody. Why? Doing everything I can to save some. Church, we have to attach Jesus to everything we do. If I'm going to give somebody money, I need to give it in the name of Jesus. If I'm going to meet a need in the city, I need to meet it in the name of Jesus. Why? Because if I don't, then I've met it in the name of Derek. And they think that the resources and the more, the abundance that God has given me to be able to bless them comes from me. But when I attach it to the name of Jesus, now they understand that it's only by the grace of God and the generosity of Jesus himself that we are able to give and meet people's needs. That's why those little cards, I didn't bring one up here with me. That's why we have those cards in our church that on the front says just something that we just because God loves you. And on the back, it says, and so do we, Zion Church. So when I give a, a tip at a restaurant, instead of just giving a tip, why not put a card down and do it in the name of Jesus? Why not let them pick up the card and say, wow, that's a great tip. And then say, because God loves you and so do we. So it wasn't the person that tipped me. It was the fact that God worked through that person because there's a need in my life and I have attached Jesus to that situation. And now I'm finding every opportunity I can that they can hear about Jesus. Or go through the McDonald's line and, and man, I pay and I say, hey, get the car behind me. 
give them a card, hand them this card. That's normally what we do. Hand them the card. And when they hand it, it's not about Zion Church. It's about God loves me. They paid for that because God loves me. My meal was paid for because God cares about me. Church, that's generosity. Everything else is individuality, which means that it's about me and it's about what I can give and what I can do and what I can show. We have to learn to be compassionate and, and to give in charity in the mindset that it's attached to Jesus, that people can see it. That's why at Zion, we practice, we, we serve the practical needs of the people of our city so that in turn, they would open their hearts to God. I want you to hear this tonight, and I, and I say it a lot, but I really want you to grasp it right now. Everything we do is not about Zion Church. Everything we do in this building is not about Zion Church. It's about the people of this city opening their hearts to God. We could really take the name off the front of the building and just say we go to the building to hear about Jesus. I would be fine with that because it's not about the church name. It's not about the people in here. It's about the heart being open and receptive to God. That's why we say so much that we go out and do things in the community, and it doesn't bother me if that person we met the need for never comes to church here. As long as they see Jesus, as long as they know God loves them, and as long as they find that they can find a place where they're welcome and they're loved with open arms, everybody wins. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's not, that's not generosity. Whenever we feel that we have to do things without attaching Jesus to it, we're not generous. That's selfish. That's wanting attention. And God says, that's not why we do it. Because watch this, Acts 16, he says, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So we meet our city's needs on our local missions, but he says, also the churches were strengthened. Do you know one of the biggest problems today in church ministry? Competition. That churches compete against churches. Pastors compete against pastors. Worship teams compete against worship teams. Leaders compete against leaders. And we only have one kingdom and we only have one heaven. So it should only be one team. I sat at Grow Conference two Two and a half years ago, with tears running down my face, a grown man in a, in a room of 6,000 grown adults with tears running down my face. Why? Because for the first time, I seen true ministry. For the first time, I seen a church whose heart was about other churches that wanted to help people to reach Jesus, that wanted to equip other churches to have all the needs they need. I watched Church of the Highlands pour out into other churches at the cost of hardly nothing and give them everything they could possibly give them because they wanted to see their church succeed. And with tears running down my face, I said, for 11 years, it's been about the church I've been in. For 11 years, it's been about building a church name. For 11 years, it's been about an organization. For 11 years, it's been about a denomination. And God says the churches have to be strengthened all over the world. Generosity starts when the vision becomes wider than your own church. We're not the biggest church in the world or Columbus, but we do a lot of things that churches our size are not capable of doing or have not even tried to do. Because of that, people call here and they do ask us, how did you do that? How did you get to that? And everything we do is open. Here's the resources. Here it is. Put your name on it. Put your name on it. Why? Because somebody did it for us. Somebody gave us that opportunity. That's one of the main reasons I hired Pastor RJ. Because when me and him was talking, I asked him and he asked me, he said, how do you feel? about growing and how do you feel about other churches and our vision clicked together because we both felt like resources should be given to everybody. We both felt like churches should be helping churches and that, that's why we do Revive Night. 
We bring other churches here and we allow we allow their pastors to get on stage and to, and to preach and that everybody in the city can see their pastors and know what church they're a part of. If they're looking for a church, now you know the pastor. Now you know where they go. Now you know where you can find them. That is why we do what we do. Generosity. Because God's been so generous to us. At Zion, we must invest in launching new churches and strengthening existing churches so that they in turn can reach the world. What do I mean by that? Church, we have a vision here to be so generous in our church that we can establish new campuses, that we can open a church in Starkville, that we can open a church in New, in new Hope, that we can open a church in West Point, that we can open a church in Tupelo, that we can have campuses everywhere where we are sending people from this hub church that have become leaders and become disciples and are ready to go and do the ministry. I can promise you one thing tonight. If we never send anybody out of this church to be a leader somewhere else, we are not a church. We are a social gathering. If we never send people to be leaders in this city and leaders in this nation and leaders in this world, and we're not equipping the people. The Bible says we have one job, equip the saints, equip them for the work. If we never send people out of here and we're comfortable just being here and never doing anything for God, we're not a church. We're a social gathering. And that's not who we are. So we got to be generous enough that we understand that, that it's beyond just paying tithes. It's beyond just offering we talked about last week, that personally and corporately we're advancing a kingdom agenda. Our church has a responsibility in advancing the kingdom of God, but you personally have a responsibility of advancing the kingdom of God. God didn't say recreate the kingdom of God. He already has a kingdom agenda. He already has a plan. He just wants us to be a part of advancing it and taking it forward. And that should be our ultimate goal. Our goal should not to be to build Zion Church. Our goal should be to advance the kingdom of God, that the world can see Jesus through us. Can you believe tonight that we get to do that? No? Can you believe that God chose you to do that? Come on, I'm talking about people tonight that probably feel like at some point in your life you was unworthy to even be in church, that you thought that lightning was going to strike the building if you walked through the back doors. I thought the same thing. But can you believe that God has chose you and God has chose me and God has chose us to advance the kingdom of God? He didn't say go build Zion Church. He said go to Zion Church and through Zion Church, you're going to advance the kingdom. That's just your that's your hub of where all this stuff's going to go through. Watch what he said in Mark 16. He said, he, he told him, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. I know we can't go into the world physically. I get it. <laughs> I really don't want to go to Africa and preach unless I'm invited. I really don't want to move there. But if God told me to move there, I would. But what I'm saying is I understand that we're not going to send everybody to Africa. But we still have a responsibility of making sure the gospel gets there. We have a responsibility to make sure that through the generosity of our lives and our church and what God has been so generous in giving us, that we find a way to be strategic in reaching all the ends of this world. Watch. At Zion, we must be focused on being strategic in our generosity so that every person in the world has the opportunity to hear the gospel. Watch this in Luke chapter 10. He told him, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. You know what God's telling him? He says that it's there. It's there. It's there for the taking. Church, do you know right now there are unchurched people in Columbus, more people than in church? Pastor Jody Andrews did a survey one time at Life Church, and he told me this. And, and, and if he watches this and the numbers are off, forgive me, but I'm going to get close as I can. 
He told me the amount of numbers of people that's in Columbus, and then they counted the amount of churches in Columbus. Now, listen to me. If every single church in Columbus was full to max capacity on Sunday, that means every church in, in, in Columbus had no seats open on Sunday. You've only reached 70% of the population. What does that mean? I'm not a mathematician, but I know that means 30% of people sitting at home. The harvest is there. It's ready. It's looking for workers. It's looking for people who are generous with their time to go out and find those who are lost and witness to those who are lost and tell them about Jesus, that their hearts can be open, that they can receive. It's not about saying, come to my church. Come see what we got. Look at our marketing ad on Facebook. Look at our graphics. Look at all the things. Look at our live stream. No, 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 no. It's about going to where they are and showing them that you are the church. What is fun about just saying, hey, just come see what we got? You know what that tells me? That only whenever a church is stuck and staying inside of their building and saying, come to me, that we are scared to be in the environment they in because we're not strong enough in our faith to know where we stand with God. Cox can help make your home smarter and your life easier. Now you can use your Contour voice remote to connect to your home life cameras so you can view them right on your TV screen using simple voice commands. That makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening around your home right from your couch. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're playing outside? Just say, show me my backyard camera into your Cox voice remote and watch them while you're in the house. And if you're waiting for a delivery and want to make sure it's there on time, no problem. Just say, show me driveway camera to check on it with your Home Life HD cameras on the TV screen while you go about your day. When you live in a home powered by Cox Internet, you can stay connected to what matters and let Cox take care of the rest. To learn more about all the benefits of your connected home, visit cox.com slash thisishome today. Still paying hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Let's change that. At zenni.com, our factory direct model means no middlemen or outrageous markups. Just the same quality frames and lens options as the other guys for one-tenth the price. Zenni offers prescription glasses starting at $6.95, as well as affordable sunglasses, blue blockers, and more. The best part? Try any frame, anywhere, with our 3D virtual try-on. Visit zenni.com today and change the way you buy glasses forever. That's what that tells me. That churches that are scared to get out of their comfort zone, out of their four walls, and go into the areas of, of, of their city and their nation where people are struggling and people are hurting, it's because they're scared they're going to be exposed, that they don't have the power to stand in the midst of those situations. He said, go. The harvest is there. This is the depth of our heart at our church. Do you know tonight that there are people in this world that has never heard the name Jesus? Do you know how blessed we are? Do you know tonight there are people in this world who have never seen a Bible? Never. Y'all remember when I brought a good friend of mine here who, who brings Bibles all over the world? What did he say? He said there's times when they go and they have to rip a page out the Bible because they don't have enough Bibles, so they rip pages, and they just give each person a page just so they have something to read. There's people all over this world that have never seen a Bible. There's people all over this world who's never seen a church building. Don't even know what church is. Church, our generosity goes beyond tithe and offering. It expands all over this world to give people the opportunity that they deserve to hear about Jesus. We are so blessed to be able to sit in here on a midweek service and have a Bible in our hands 
And we've heard the name of Jesus. We've encountered Jesus and we lift the name of Jesus and we worship and we have the finest things to worship with. We have great people to lead us in worship and we have all these things that are right there at our fingertips. But there are people tonight who don't have any of it. And it depends on our generosity to get it to them. Church is not a social gathering. Church is not a place to hang out. Church is a breeding ground for leaders. Church is a training facility for kingdom leaders. What does that mean, Pastor? That means that church, every time we come in the door, we ought to have on our mind, what's my next step with God? God needs me to further this kingdom. What is my next step with God? Where am I going next? What's the next thing I'm going to do to better the kingdom? How can I grow? What do I need to do? There was a time frame in maybe the first three years I was in church. I don't know if I grew a bit. <laughs> I liked being in church, and to me, church just was a hangout. It was a chance to be around good people, and that is true. It is a great place to be around good people. But individually and in our families and corporately, we have to be taking steps with God. We have to be constantly growing that we can understand how to be generous. I can't be generous if I don't understand that God is trying to prepare me for a season where he's going to launch me and use me for something great. So what do we do to, to offset that? We have to train men, women, students, and kids who are called to the ministry so that they can be sent out to fulfill the Great Commission. We have to train people. That's why our kids are set up the way they are. That's why they learn to serve at that age. That's why they're taught the Bible so young and we won't do away with our grow classes. Because I believe that the biggest mistake you can make in a church is to get rid of teaching and just think that people will grow by preaching at them once a week. It doesn't work that way. People need to know the Bible. The message that is preached on Sunday is not going to get me all the way through the week when the devil is facing me. I need to know the word of God that I can fight back with the sword and have the right tools to overcome him. That's why we prepare the kids the way we do it, our men and our women, because I'm telling you, church, one day you may be sitting in this church tonight, but a year or two from now, you may be sitting in Zion Church, Starkville, serving there. You may be sitting in Zion Church, New Hope, serving somewhere there. That's our job. Generosity, being generous with our time, generous with our move and our life, because Jesus says this. I you know it's my favorite scripture. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it or will not prevail. If we go King James, he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail. This is when he asked them and he said, who do men say that I am? And they lift off all these men and they said, oh, yeah. he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks and he gives him exactly who he is. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, Peter, you're blessed. Simon Barjona, you're blessed. Thou art Peter. Why? Because flesh and blood, no man taught you this, no school taught you this, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed to you what? Who I am. And he said, that's how I'll build my church. Do you know why that word is so important? Because when he says, I will build my church, Jesus took it personal. <laughs> See, he didn't say, I will build a church. He didn't say, I will build the church. He said, I will build my church. It became personal with Jesus at that moment. That's why I'm so against when people say we are the church. No, no. He said my church. We're not the church. We have to be his church. We have to be his bride. We have to be the one that is searching after him, the one that he's coming back to receive. He said, I will build my church. It became personal with Jesus. 
That's why we say don't play with church because it's personal with Jesus. He said, my church. But this is what I love because you are sitting in this room tonight and you understand that we're trying to build life-giving churches so that people can come to know Jesus, find freedom, discover purpose, and impact eternity. That people can come into church that never heard of God before, don't even know who God is, never seen the Bible, never been in church before. And in that one moment, we have everything in our service ready that they can receive and come to know Jesus. And once they come to know Jesus, that they can find freedom in their life. They can join a small group. They can get in a group with somebody and they can find the healing they need in life and they can find the freedom they need and they can start to do life with other people and change from the atmosphere and the circles that they were once a part of. Then they can come to the next level and they can discover their purpose. We'll help them how to discover their leadership qualities and, and all the things they can do. And we'll try to help them to understand what God wants to do in their life. And from there, they start impacting eternity. Church, life-giving. Life-giving. Now, here I'm going to preach you the last bit of it. First, I want you to see what we do here. Now I want you to see what God says about it. Zion Church, you and your family are blessed to be a blessing. You are blessed to be a blessing. Right now is not the time to look for safety. This is not the time. This is the exact time to impact others for Jesus. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because I believe that last year when struggles got hard and times got hard, what made the difference was the ones who were willing to still give and still do their part in reaching others. That was not the time to run for safety. That was not the time to run for the hills. That was the time to step out on faith and say, I know it's hard. I know it's rough, but I know right now that God is relying on me. It's my responsibility. I'm going to be held accountable and I've got to keep doing what I can to impact other people. I have to be generous with my time. I have to be generous with my finances. I have to be generous with my studies because I believe that God has been generous to me. We are the hands and feet, but there's three principles I want to give you tonight. Three principles that we have to follow to make sure we get this. Here's one of them. God blesses us with more than we need so that we can be a blessing to others. God blesses us with more than we need so that we can be a blessing to others. And the most common thing you hear is, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. Listen to me. Church, I'm very compassionate in these things. I'm very understanding because I've been through the, the deepest of the valleys myself. I know what it's like to be drugged through the valley. I know what it's like. But did I have a roof over my head? Yes. Did I have food on my table? Yes. Did I have clothes on my back? Yes. Did I have the necessities I needed, the bare ones to go through life? Yes. Then that means I still got to keep going for God. I can't give up just because it was hard. I can't give up just because I don't have in this season what I had in that one. It doesn't take the fact that I still have to give my time and everything else towards God the same. Why? Because we have to know what the more is for. <laughs> Why did he give you more? Why does he give you more? Why does he bless the church? Watch this in Genesis 12. He says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others. Oh, that's good. That's good. He said, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others. And this is what we're trying to do. But you have to know where you started. You know what's one of the, the scariest things not to ever do is to look back and, and see where you started from. Because when you don't do that, you forget how much somebody else needs you in that time. 
If I don't ever go back as a pastor and look at where we started as a church, I can tell you a a quick run through. I remember my wife sitting right here. She remembers where my wife sat with a cell phone on the front row and videotaped the service live. And it'd be like this because she's trying to worship and and be the video quarter at the same time. That's where we started. I remember when we didn't have anything on the stage. We didn't have anything nice. We was trying to borrow from everybody. I remember this time. I remember when we went to Tennessee to pastor and we didn't have a building and we didn't have a bank account. We only had five people. We didn't know what we was going to do. But I look at where we are now and I think how could even when the season got hard last year in coronavirus, how could our church not still give to other churches that need understanding where we started? I'm one of those pastors, and, and I think our committees will tell you the same thing. I'm a go-for-broke type fella. I'm a go-for-broke. Pastor, we need to watch because it's a bad season. Let me tell you something. We started with nothing. We're going to give until we ain't got nothing because God will give it back if we're doing right by it. God will give it back if we're fulfilling the purpose. God will give it back if we're fulfilling the commission. We're not going to just build, 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 and never be generous towards anybody else. God's done too much. Now take that to your personal life. Do I build, 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 and never impact somebody else? Everybody likes the way the church does it, but what about when it gets personal? Everybody can say, yeah, pastor, let's do that. Let's give, let's give, let's give to other people as we can and try to help them, even if it costs us everything we have in the long run. If God built it from zero, God will build it again. But what about our personal life? What about when God's trying us and God's testing us with the generosity of what he gave us? Because here's what it is about others. When we bless others, God takes care. Of our needs. You know what happens when I begin to bless somebody else and I begin to bless others. It opens the door for God to provide for me. God, I'm giving everything I have to somebody else because I know that's what you want me to do. And God says, door open. Now I can bless you because you see what generosity is about. And you know I'm a generous God. And you know I said if you, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. You know why some people say I never see blessings in my life because they never bless anybody else? God said I'll bless you so you could bless others. See, that's why whenever Jennifer and I used to get all these pastor gifts, when we didn't have anything, I always said, God, if you ever make our church in a financial situation where I can give money to other pastors who are struggling, I promise you I'll do it. I promise you they can pastor any church in this city. If I know their family is struggling, we will give to their family because I understand what it's like to be there. God says, I will, I bless you so you can be a blessing to others. Because there's almost nothing God won't do for the person who wants to help other people. How does God do this? Church, listen to me. This is very simple. How does God do it? If we're the hands and feet, what does that mean? God's wanting to bless somebody else. Who's it got to go through? The hands and the feet. He doesn't have a body here, so who's he working through? Us, the hands and the feet. So God will almost do everything possible for somebody who wants to bless somebody else. Because he says, you're my hands and feet, and you're the one that I want to do it through if you'll bless somebody else. Luke chapter 18. He says, I guarantee this. Anyone who gives up anything for the kingdom of God will certainly receive many blessings more in this life and will receive eternal life in the next world to come. So a lot of people look at that scripture and before they get to the end part, they say, Pastor, look, I get it. 
we, we should give while we're here and we should store up our treasures in heaven and we, we should do all these things, but that's all for eternal life. No, he said, I guarantee this, anyone who gives up anything for the kingdom of God will certainly receive many times more, what? In this life and will receive eternal life in the next world to come. It's not just about eternal life, church. It's about this life. It's about right now. The more God blesses us, the more he expects us to bless others. What's the more for, Pastor? So that you can bless somebody else. So that somebody can see God through your giving of, to them. That they can see your generosity. Because Luke says, much is required from those who, to whom much is given, for their responsibility is greater. If God's given me everything I need, you want me to tell you why I truly believe that my family went through one of the hardest seasons of our life? Because we did give faithfully in the season where we had a whole lot, but I don't believe we gave to the needs the way God wanted us to. And I truly believe I brought that on myself because God says too much is required from those who he's given much to. Now, I said all that to tell you this because I want you to know this. You're probably thinking this is the weirdest message we've ever heard, and it may be but I'm fixing to help you with something. Why is all this so important, Pastor? Come on, Pastor RJ, come up here with me. In the Jewish tradition, we have to understand something. When it's talking about giving, there's a reason why God puts so much emphasis on generosity and being a generous God. See, in the culture we live in, we pin it down to the money. We pin it down to the receiving more. We pin it down to if I give more, God's going to give me health or God's going to give me money or God's going to give me a new house or God's going to give me a new car. Some say he's going to give you a Lexus and a Lamborghini and I'm still driving a minivan and I give just fine. So I don't know if that's true either. But we've made it out to be something that God was trying to show us that it's really not. In the Jewish tradition, when a dad had money, it didn't matter how many kids he had, he would give 50%. To the firstborn. Now, in my mindset, that's a little unfair because I got five. So what I'm saying is, is if, if, if I had an inheritance right now, I would give 50% of my inheritance to Tatum, the firstborn. And then the rest of my four girls would split 50%. My firstborn got a double portion because Deuteronomy says, He must acknowledge the son as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all he has. And in my mindset, I'm starting to think like this is this guy's a respecter of person. Like, why does the firstborn get the 50 percent? But everybody else got to split the rest. This don't make a whole lot of sense. Watch. The son is the first sign of his father's strength. The right of the firstborn belongs to him. The reason that in that tradition, the father would give 50 percent to the firstborn and give the other 50 for them to split was because the firstborn was the first sign of his father's strength. So whenever his father was no longer there, he needed the 50% to take care of the rest of the family. He needed the double portion because everything inside of him that he would do would show his father's strength. That word right, it says the right of the firstborn belongs to him. In the Hebrew, that word means responsibility. It's the responsibility of the firstborn and it belongs to him. 
It was the responsibility for the firstborn to be a representation of his father's strength once his father left. And pastor, that's, that's Hebrew. That's Jewish tradition. But what about today? You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. Do you know today that God considers the church the firstborn? He said to the church I give the, the double portion. As does it mean that I'm a respecter of person? God says no, but it means that I need the church to be a representation of my strength and it's their responsibility. They are the firstborn. So that when I'm not here, the church can be a representation. The church can be responsible. That's why he gave us a double portion. That's why he gave us his spirit. Listen to me about how God works. There have been families in this church, multiple families, listen to me, that went through seasons of life during Christmas and, and, during, and during times where they needed to provide things for their kids and they couldn't. And because our church was generous, we were able to provide those needs in the season where the parents couldn't do it. There was their families in this church, multiple families that could not pay their bills. And because they couldn't, the church stepped in and the church paid the bills. Why? Because we are the representation of the firstborn. We are the representation of the father's strength. And if I preach that God won't let your lights cut off and I preach that God won't let you go without, then if I'm not willing to meet the need, I can't stand up here and preach it. It's the responsibility to the church. Of the firstborn. This brings more revelation to 2 Kings chapter 9. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? He said, Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. That's what Elisha replied. <laughs> and watch this. Him and Elisha's walking down the road, and all of a sudden, Elijah's taken up in a whirlwind. But before he did that, he says, You have asked a difficult thing of me, Elijah said. He said, But yet, if you see me, if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will be not. Now, watch this. When Elijah is taken up in a whirlwind, listen to the words of Elisha. Elisha saw this. He's seen it because he said, You have to see it so that you can receive it. He said, My father, my father. Oh, something about the father leaving. I need a double portion. I need to have the firstborn. I need to be the representation and the strength. He said the chariots and horsemen of Israel and Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and the Bible says he tore it in two. Why? Because look what was happening on the side. The company of the prophets from Jericho were watching and they said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and they bowed down the ground on their knees before him because they seen the spirit of the one who came before him. I don't know if you got that. Elijah was a representation. Remember that shadow deal? Representation of Jesus. Who would leave and who would leave his spirit. Why? So the church can be rich? No. So the church can do all the things the church wants to do? No. So our families can be rich and do everything we want to do? No. So that somebody would be watching and would see that the Spirit of God rests upon that man. It rests upon that woman and it opened their hearts to receive and they went to meet him and they bowed down on the ground before him and they gave their life to a God because they seen that they were the representation and they took on the responsibility of the firstborn. And then we argue, well, that's pastor, that's Old Testament. 
Acts chapter 1. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. All the way back to the first scripture we started with. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the other ends of the world. And the Bible says that after he said this, what happened? He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they just stood there watching. And then here comes a man and he says, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? Why are you not doing what you're supposed to be doing? Why are you not being generous? Why are you not going out and doing what God has called you to do this same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven what's that have to do with the double portion when the day of Pentecost came they were all together in one place and suddenly something about a suddenly God something about a God that shows up suddenly when you everything's going bad something about a God that shows up suddenly when things just seem like it can't get no better a sound that's why we say sound always ushers in power but before they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost the sound came as of a blowing violent mighty rushing wind from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting verse 4 says this that and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them what happened right there church Jesus was taken up right before their eyes. They seen him. They stood there in amazement. They didn't even know what else to do. The guy comes and he says, what's going to happen is he's coming back the same way you seen him leave. You are to go to Jerusalem and you are to tarry because there's a double portion. There is a spirit that you need if you are going to be a representation of that Savior. Acts chapter 4. They've already received it. When they saw the courage of Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin council, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Same thing we've seen with Elijah. The prophets of Jericho are watching and saying, wow, the spirit of Elijah rests upon that man. And they come before him and they bow down at their knees. Watch what happens right here. The Sanhedrin council, the same one who Jesus had problems with. They're looking at him. They're saying there's something about these men. Matter of fact, the real word is they're ignorant. They're ordinary men. They're unschooled. They're ignorant. And they are astonished. And they took note. They said these men, no matter how we see them, no matter what they say, no matter how ignorant they sound, you cannot get away from the fact that they have been with Jesus but since they could see <laughs> something about seeing but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them watch what happens there was nothing they could say there was nothing that they could say the problem with the world we live in today is the church doesn't carry enough of the responsibility and the representation of a savior that the world's able to say what they want to say. But in both of these scriptures from New Testament and Old Testament, when the Spirit of God was in front of the people, there was nothing they could say. They couldn't worship their God. They couldn't lift up their God. They couldn't come against the things that they were saying about Jesus. They couldn't deny the fact that the man was healed. They had the responsibility resting upon them and they took the double portion in their life and they let it be a representation of the Father's strength until he returns. Stand with me. We are generous. We are a generous people. We are a generous church. When we do what we're supposed to do with the double portion you've been given. And let me tell you something tonight. I'm sorry to bust bubbles. I'm sorry to give a spoiler alert, but it ain't money. It's the Spirit of God. I'm sorry to ruin the whole series. I'm sorry to let you know, but it ain't got nothing to do with money. 
to all the pastors that say it's about money. It's got nothing to do with money. That's just showing obedience. It's got everything to do with the Spirit of God. It's got everything to do with the right representation. It's got everything to do with responsibility. It's got everything to do with accountability. And those things just happen to be a part of it that God can see I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. But I'm telling you tonight that they have to take note of our God. If you're a generous person, it's going to be because somebody's seen God inside of you. You've been generous with your own life and allowed God to work through it that people could see it. That's generous. That we, the firstborn of the church, the double portion, that they may take note that we have been with Jesus. Can I give you one final thought? All over this world, people are arguing the fact that the Holy Spirit is not important. But every time the double portion was recognized it had to do with the Spirit pastor the Holy Spirit is for the New Testament but the Bible says you'll know them by their fruits and the only time I read of anything about fruit in the Bible it's the fruit of the Spirit so if they're going to know me by my fruit then then that means that they've recognized the strength of the Father inside of me that means that they've recognized the responsibility of the Spirit on the inside of me generosity has to do with the Spirit of God in your life. Working. Father, we love you tonight. God, we're so thankful. Lord, it's so good to know that you're not so much worried about money. It's so good to clear that up tonight, God, that you're more concerned with us having a double portion of your Spirit. It's so good, God, to know tonight that you just want us to be a representation of who you are until you come back. That people would see our past. They would know the ugliness of our life. They would know the dark valleys we lived in. And all they can say is that they've been with Jesus. That the Spirit of God rests upon that life. And the double portion is being shown. And it's being given. And we're being generous with it. And we're taking it to our city. And we're taking it to our neighbor. And we're taking it to the local restaurants. And we're taking it to our friends. And we're taking it to our nation. And we're taking it throughout the world. Because the responsibility is on the firstborn. And the firstborn is a church. And tonight, God, it's your church. It's your people that you're calling. It's us that you want to be generous. You're relying on us tonight, God. You're relying on us tonight, Lord, that others' hearts will be open and they will take note of who you are, that they will see our good deeds, not in what we've done, but that we've allowed the Spirit to work through us and they will glorify our Father in heaven. Lord, you're worthy to be praised. Switching to GEICO is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, GEICO makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to GEICO, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. 
Well, GEICO has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to GEICO. It's obviously a good idea. Switching to GEICO is a good idea, especially when you consider everything. First off, GEICO makes it easy to switch. They have licensed agents available 24-7 online or over the phone. But if it's so easy, you might start thinking everything is easy, even big wave surfing. And it's not. It's actually quite difficult. Well, if you switch to GEICO, you could save hundreds on car insurance. And you could keep saving by bundling your motorcycle, boat, and RV, plus your home or renter's insurance. But saving money might lead you to make some questionable purchases, like a 20-foot feather boa. And do you know how hard it is to clean a 20-foot feather boa? Well, they do have an industry-leading mobile app you can use to pay your bill, file and manage a claim, or add a new driver. But when life gets a little easier, it makes you too confident. And you start calling everyone ace. And you're better than that. Well, GEICO has a 97% customer satisfaction rating and has been saving people money for 85 years. It's hard to beat that. But you're right. Switch to GEICO. It's obviously a good idea.